if you have a, uh, a thought or a comment or a want to vent or uh, say, boy, I've been, something's been, uh, you know, bothering me for a while about you guys or about just a question, uh, send that over to Reason Together podcast at gmail.com. Maybe we shouldn't have and, you be the one asking for people to email us. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Tom Balsamo. How are you this morning, Tom? Good. Doing real good. Good. <laughs> yes. How are and you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We, uh, we have more probably to talk about today than we'll really have time to talk about it. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it's exciting that we've got some listener feedback. We always appreciate that. Yeah. And if you're new to the podcast, you're listening to two friends reasoning together through all sorts of things uh, in life, not just theological issues, but we're connecting them to um, to scriptural foundation and just wondering how, how is we're supposed to... Well, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we don't always come to the answers quite like we want to, but hopefully we... Uh, we give you something to think about and help you to start reasoning through the process. And if you'd like to join the conversation, as it were, give us your thoughts. It's reason together podcast at gmail.com. That's reason together podcast at gmail.com. And you can ask a question, give us your thoughts. And hey, you don't have to agree. you're you're allowed to disagree yeah um yeah and uh, we also want to at the outset give uh, a big thank you as always to our supporters over at patreon.com slash reason together who have given generous support uh, to this podcast to keep uh, things going i was just thinking about that this past week we bought some t-shirt blanks and did some t-shirt printing so we can have a stock of those on hand and uh, that is thanks to our patrons that were able to do things like that. So uh, we do appreciate that. Hey, and if you'd like to buy a T-shirt, <laughs> you can go over to reasontogether.fm. That is our home on the web, reasontogether.fm. And uh, you can look on the sidebar there, and it uh, has a link to buy a T-shirt. And uh, that way I, you can I was represent. Thank you. I'm glad, glad you said that. I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of that this morning because I'm wearing my podcast T-shirt today yeah. to record. So. Uh, yeah, you can have yours too. You don't have to be an elite patron. You can just outright buy a t-shirt over at reasontogether.fm. That's correct. And, uh, you know, some, some patron tiers actually, you get a discount on the purchase Ah. of a t-shirt. Yes. You get three bucks off. Um, if you go over to patreon.com slash reason together, just check out the different tiers there and see what you like and, and sign up and, uh, become part of the program. I'm excited about jumping into uh, the topics today. I'm just, I guess, wondering maybe what order or what question to start with. Um, okay. Go ahead. So, okay. You're, this, this, this first one, I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save. Somebody asked a question about Trump and voting for Trump, what's uh-huh. changed, things like that. And, uh, and I'd like to share thoughts on that, but I'm going to draw them further into the episode. So first, let's go to uh, somebody asked a question about critical race theory, and I'm going to lean on you oh. uh, here some. Or, okay. Um, well, we, we can certainly talk about that one today. I've got some thoughts on it. Uh, I would not say that uh, I have comprehensive thoughts on it, but I, I do have a few 
few thoughts um, in in some of my research. I, I think our listeners maybe should uh, just to, to to help in the conversation do some homework on critical race theory mm-hmm. and uh, look it up and see what that is. That's been in the news lately uh, because it is something that. Uh, a foundational teaching that was kind of imposed on government employees and institutions, as well as on uh, public schools and and colleges, uh, public universities. And recently that's been in the news because the president has actually declared that to be a dangerous doctrine and uh, has insisted on it being removed uh, from being taught. For sake of history or background here, when did that really start being imposed on institutions, former administration? You know, I don't really know the answer to that. Okay. okay. Um, it's been around for a while, possibly even before the former yeah, administration. Yeah, roots going in. Okay. Yeah, it, it's wow. it's been around for a little while. It is sometimes referred to as cultural Marxism. So I think it, it its foundations even are, are rooted even deeper than the previous administration uh, of the presidency. But critical race theory, I, I would I don't know how we could kind of sum that up. Um, there's an article here that was linked uh, by a listener. Uh, in fact, the question uh, about this came in from one of our listeners, uh, Tim, one of our patrons as well. He says, uh, thank you for your continued podcasts. I thought your recent episode on philosophy, worldview, biblical view of forgiveness, etc. was excellent. Have you discussed critical race theory? I ran a search on your Patreon webpage, but I didn't get any hits. If you haven't discussed this topic, I'd like to hear your thoughts, since CRT doctrines seem to be encroaching on Christianity at large. I'd recommend that you read this article on the subject, and it has uh, some good thoughts. Thanks, Tim. So that is from Tim, and he links to an article by Answers in Genesis here, um, which I will link to in the show notes. And uh, it begins, what is critical race theory? How are the ideas permeating the church? What does the Bible say about it? And what is the biblical response to racism in the church? Um, so obviously this this whole idea of CRT comes down to the topic of racism, which is a pretty pretty heavy topic uh, today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not not because necessarily it uh, it's a major problem in America. Uh, it really <laughs> hasn't been for a long time. There are certainly right. racist people. Uh, in every place in the world, including America. But is it really a problem in America? No, it hasn't been for a very long time. We've had a lot of success in this country with uh, defeating the ties to uh, racism uh, that existed here at some point in our history. Um, But the article begins, America is in turmoil these days. Protests have turned into riots in the street amid calls to defund the police. Activists have set up so-called autonomous zones in Seattle and Portland where law enforcement dare not tread. Major corporations and major league sports support Black Lives Matter, a Marxist-led organization that has contributed to much of the street-level chaos in America. The unrest is palpable. The implied drive behind this movement is racism. The traditional understanding of racism advocates that one ethnic group is better than other ethnic groups. Um, And and they go on to give biblical uh, support uh, for the idea here that um, racial prejudice is wrong and it is sinful. In fact, they, they go to great lengths in the article here, it seems, to demonstrate that the Bible supports the concept of there is one race the human race in particular, Um, which we won't go over that. I think we've actually talked a little bit about that in the past, but we want to get down to the brass tacks here of what is critical race theory. 
and they cite a man here by the name of Neil Shenvey, uh, defines critical race theory as, quote, an ideology that divides the world into oppressed groups and their, uh, and their oppressors and aims to liberate the oppressed, end quote. Uh, sometimes called cultural Marxism, CRT borrows concepts from classical Marxism, dividing the world into haves and have-nots and attempts to right so the wrongs if, of previous generations through a redistribution of wealth and power. There you go. So if you have, essentially, if you have something somebody else doesn't have, <laughs> then they sort of become classified as oppressed. And we, since we have, are the oppressors? Or do you think that's a logical connection or not? Um, possibly. But in, in some sense, any kind of uh, temporal success, whether it be wealth or things or position or power, could never have been achieved by hard work or diligence. Uh, mm. It always, in some sense, according to critical race theory, uh, the ideology is that it was achieved by you having oppressed someone to get it. Oh, wow. You got powerful because you oppressed someone. You got rich because you oppressed someone. So logically, it would follow then those that don't have what you have are the oppressed. Are the oppressed, right. Mm-hmm. And and would you say this is somehow uh, also kind of integrally linked to the concept of justice, like social justice in some sor- sort of way? like The, con- the been... concept of it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that, that it, is, uh, it is inherently or equa- linked. Or they say equality. Equality, They want yeah. equality of, of races and outcomes and yeah, prosperity outcomes. and... Okay. Sure. And, and what they're ignoring, I think, is is largely like what uh, what Dennis Prager says. He says that you cannot have equality of outcomes without tyranny. You, you just can't <laughs> yeah. have it. Um, if you want everybody to have the same amount of wealth, uh, the same amount of uh, power, the same amount of everything, you have to, in a sense, put down those who are more successful than others and give it to those who are not. Um, well. And our equality is so selective. Uh, I, I've thought about this in the last few days that we don't, um, you know, it seems like there's a thousand, a thousand points uh, in life on which we could strive for equality, but we only want them in certain areas mm-hmm. like income or, you know, opportunity or, you know, and, and, and not that they're all bad, but we don't say, you know, we have to have equality of dinner meals, you know, everybody eats the same thing. Or we have right. to have a quality of bicycles where everybody rides the same bicycle. Yeah. But we want equality of income, maybe, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's where it benefits us and we like it. Um, anyway, it's just yeah. kind of, to me at the outset, it's they're not really after an equality of life. They just want... Sure. They pick an area where it helped them. And Anyway, go ahead. Well, as further proof that we kind of do this on the fly here, the article does go on to explain <laughs> uh, the origin of critical race theory. Okay. So um, <laughs> it says here, critical race theory originated in Europe in the early 20th century. Caleb Yarborough wrote, quote, critical race theory is derived from critical theory which originated in the Frankfurt School, a school of Marxist sociology and philosophical thought associated with the Institute for Social Research, end quote. Uh, it, CRT later infiltrated academic circles and now has permeated the broader culture through organizations like Black Lives Matter. And, and that I think that's a good distinction to make as far as Black Lives Matter goes, is mm-hmm. uh, it is an organization as well mm-hmm. as an ideology. Hmm. And... 
when the organization itself, they have they have their own website, and uh, yes, they right. they are an admittedly they are organized. Marxist organization. They're not ashamed right. of the title, um, and and they have very devious goals, like destroying the nuclear family is one of them. They think that's mm-hmm. is inherently racist. The idea that there's a mother and a father and children uh, and dog, cat, whatever that you know the <laughs> nuclear family is an inherently racist concept. Um, all that to say, they have their roots in Marxism. Uh, so critical race now, theory is problematic. Stop for just a second and say Marxism. Describe Marxism and why a thought like why these thoughts would be tied to a Marxism. Well, off the top of my head, I would say it's because Marxism promotes redistribution of wealth. Mm-hmm. That uh, you have the haves and the have-nots, and basically the haves have to have their wealth taken from them to give to the have-nots. A very Robin Hood-esque type mentality that you mm-hmm. rob from the rich, give to the poor so that everyone can have the same amount. Uh, that's a very Marxist uh, idea, um, the redistribution so, and, of wealth. Yeah, so it goes to finances because I mean the concept of the nuclear family – I mean, my goodness, to, to, to tear that down for the betterment of society, it's like, who believes that? I mean, it, like, well, like where, where are you coming from to think that that's good for society? Or is that just essentially um, a jab to deconstruct society so that it becomes volatile, somebody takes control, yeah. um, you know, and then distributes wealth however they want to? Which yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the article here goes on to describe two implications of CRT. Uh, and it names intersectionality and privilege. Um, and, and I think we've talked a little bit about these before, um, but the idea of intersectionality is that uh, all of society is is broken down into different classes or different groups mm-hmm. based on their level of oppression, okay? So so if you, for instance, are a, a, a minority, right? You're, you're considered an oppressed group, but if you're a minority person who is also uh, a lesbian, right, then you're mm-hmm. even more oppressed. Well, then if mm-hmm. you have a disability, you're even more oppressed still. And depending on your nationality, you know, whether you're a minority, you could be of different nationalities. You might be from Mexico or you might be from Africa or whatever. You know, depending on your minority nationality, you're even more oppressed. Uh, and then gender. Of course, women are viewed as more oppressed than, than men. Uh, in intersectionality. So so basically, if you're a, a female, a lesbian, uh, a, a black woman with a disability who is from, you know, uh, Liberia or something, <clears throat> then you're considered <laughs> just the most oppressed a human being can be, basically, which would mean the opposite of that is true, that if you're a, uh, a white male, <laughs> right, uh, from right. the United um, States of America, America straight. who yeah. is healthy and straight, then you're considered to be the oppressor. Uh, according to this and, ideology. Okay. And along with oppression, <laughs> oppressor, an oppressor is privilege. Yes. Right. So that's the other side of it is you have intersectionality, which defines the oppressed, and then privilege, which describes the oppressors. Um, and of course, everybody's talking these days about white privilege. And uh, to a lesser mm-hmm. degree, people are talking about Christian privilege. Um, <clears throat> but this is this is all the fruits of critical race theory. Sorry. Um, <laughs> They're kind of... Chuckle, I guess, you know, do you, didn't privilege used to be like a good thing? Like, yeah. well, I'm so privileged to live here in America. Yeah. Ah, but that's the bad thing is that you're privileged, yeah, you know, and yeah. you need to admit that you're privileged. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> you need to admit that you're blessed and that you've had some 
good things in life. But obviously this idea of CRT has some uh, inherent appeal to those who would fall into the intersectional categories. Um, because and, and that prefer a victimization. Yeah, and, and victimization, in a sense, to our flesh feels good because then mm. it creates the sense of entitlement that now I have opportunity to get things that I wouldn't otherwise get for doing virtually nothing. Would it be fair to say that victimization is rooted in bitterness or is connected um, to bitterness? That if somebody, you know, thrives on a victimization and saying, oh, I, I feel good because I'm a victim, because I'm making my case of why. I think it's, why, I think it's rooted right? in covetousness. Mm, okay. I, I, w- okay. I would say it's maybe perhaps rooted in covetousness, though I don't disagree. Bitterness could be a component. But if mm-hmm. you think about what, what CRT promotes, it, it is inherently unbiblical in, in several ways. And I've written down five ways here. And I've gotten mm-hmm. some of these from someone else, and I, I don't remember the source. Um, but then I, I added a couple of these here. But uh, critical race theory teaches the sin of partiality is the first one I have. And yeah. uh, when you think of uh, references like James chapter 2 and verse 9, but if you have respect of persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. The idea of treating people differently based on some sort of decision of partiality that you've made, uh, based on whether it be their skin color or their, what other, other demographic features they might have, you decide, you know what, that person, they're inherently bad because they're white and they seem to be well-to-do, they have a job, and, and, and they're, they're just a bad person, and I'm going to... I'm going to treat them poorly. I'm going to talk about them in the public square as if they're inherently evil when I have no evidence to suggest that that they've done anything evil in society. (laughs) Um, So it teaches the sin of partiality. One of the other references that is brought up uh, in regards to that is actually uh, an Old Testament reference that, um, I don't know, maybe James was thinking of this when he wrote that, uh, is Deuteronomy 1 and verse 17. You shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Uh, ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. Um, so the idea is uh, you have to be careful. If you're the judge and you, two people are brought before you, <clears throat> you have to be careful not to judge simply on appearances. <laughs> okay. He says, wow. you shall not yeah. be afraid of the face of man. And we're living in a society right now where there's a real possibility. In fact, it's happening right now that if there is a legal battle between a white man and a black man, there's a real possibility right now that the white man might be judged wrongly simply because of the color of his skin. Color of his skin. And that is in and of itself racism. We've seen that in, I think there's been five or six different cases in the last 12 months of, um, of a black individual being shot uh, by a white police officer. Mm-hmm. And every single one of those cases um, has, has been either the charges have been dropped in some way or a person has, had, uh, has, has been acquitted of some charge or the investigation just simply stopped because there wasn't enough evidence to suggest that the white man had done anything outside of his, his duties on the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a push to make judgment lean in favor of, a, of the other person simply because they are black. Um, right. <clears throat> and don't, don't you think that this whole uh, 
this whole line of thinking borrows from our worldview. And by that, I mean that they have to have some, uh, they have to look at to something as a standard of right and wrong. Um, and so the whole, the whole classifying of certain groups and races as oppressed is really subjective, right? I mean, different people are going to, uh, disagree on whether a ra- a a certain profile of people is actually oppressed. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there's I mean, going to be some subjectivity involved in that, I suppose. But but they kind of act like, well, no, this is this is true. The yeah. fact that I'm oppressed is true. This is a right um and and but but and it's not. It's based on something subjective. Yeah, and 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 I suppose that's another fruit of critical race theory is that it is inherently uh, it is inherently deceptive. It is living a lie because mm-hmm. yes. you can screen, you can have millions of people screaming from the hilltops that every white person in America is racist and they just don't know it. That doesn't make it true. So to continue <laughs> right. to believe that you are living a deception, you are self-deceived. And really uh, one of the most self-deceived ways you could be is to be absolutely public about a thing and it be false. You know, a lot of people are mm. self-deceived in ways that they don't necessarily shout publicly. Okay. Yes. But right. you're dealing with an issue that people, you know, the blue check marks on Twitter, you know, the verified accounts, people in high places in politics are all shouting from the hilltops. I think it was just recently Michelle Obama even came out and called the president a racist again. Yes, right. Um, you know, and, and it, there was uh, uh, Kaylee McEnany, the uh, the spokesman for the, the press president. Secretary. Yeah, the press mm-hmm. secretary. That's it. Um, she was asked a question recently, you know, will the president denounce racism? Well, she says he already has many times. And then she rattled off several quotes of his that are directly denouncing the KKK uh, and uh, um, uh, even the Proud Boys. He's come out recently and, and, uh, and denounced the Proud Boys. Um, and, and she's quoted these things. And after she gets done reading these quotes, the man says, yes, but please, you know, just to be clear, can you make it clear that the president denounces <laughs> racism? And she's like, I just did. So it's like you have to be the most self-deceived person on planet Earth to listen to something so clear and say, but can you actually make it clear? You know, you know can the president denounce racism? I denounce racism. Uh, sir, why won't you denounce racism? Uh, I denounce racism. Sir, please denounce racism. Uh, and that was, of course, something that happened right. during the debate as well. Um, so you see, you're living a lie. So it is uh, it is unbiblical in, in two ways so far. It, it promotes the sin of partiality. It promotes self-deception. Um, and, and the, the third one, of course, we already touched on is, uh, critical race theory teaches the sin of coveting under the guise of equality. Uh, and of course, covetousness is, is explicitly stated in the commandments, uh, Exodus mm-hmm. chapter 20. And, uh, I think it's verse 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant. It goes on a list of things there. But if there's any, uh, <laughs> If there's anything that clearly demonstrates the covetousness, it's, it's the, the quote-unquote protests that are happening where the protesters are magically walking out of broken store windows with arms full of stuff. Um, clearly, it's about their politics there, isn't it? <laughs> no, no. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's in a sense giving them a political uh, impetus uh, um, when in their minds they would view it as a moral impetus to do immoral things, like taking whatever they want whenever mm-hmm. they want it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, so we're we're talking about something that promotes covetousness here. 
Um, and then uh, the other, the next thing is uh, that <clears throat> it imparts guilt to the guiltless. Exodus chapter 18 and verse 20 is, uh, is referenced here. Uh, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. That's not the right verse, I don't think. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I might have to come back around to that. But the idea is that it imparts guilt to the guiltless. Uh, again, uh, a problematic thing. Probably wish I had that verse right. Um, Uh, I must have mistyped it somewhere. Anyway, you get the idea. <laughs> you, you you can't uh, you can't make someone guilty just by saying so. You have to have evidence, right? Um, I've been preaching through the Book of Job for a while now, and <clears throat> his three friends spend most of the first two thirds of the book trying desperately to prove he is guilty of something. And I've got to give props to Job because it would have been easier in some ways to get them off his back by simply saying, yeah, you're right. It must have been X. Let me confess that. I'm sorry, fellas. You know, let me apologize. And then let me go to the Lord and seek his forgiveness and such. And then they would, they would have been off his back. It's supposedly, (laughs) theoretically. But I got to give Job props because uh, he remained stalwart. He knew mm-hmm. in his conscience he had done nothing uh, wrong to invite the judgment of God on his life in the way that it came, and uh, he maintained his innocence. And, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. You should, not, you should not apologize for something you did not do. That is also living a lie. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know we've had talked about we've talked about apolo- well maybe we've talked about this before you know and I'm just going back to that actual statement apologizing for something you didn't do I understand you know you don't say I did it when I didn't do it right um, on an interpersonal level it, that may vary a little bit where I feel like you can say you know look if I offended you I certainly did not mean to you yeah. know uh, or you know maybe I didn't maybe I didn't see something here. What am I missing? You know what I mean? To, to be ready to take blame if it's there. Uh, but I, you know, what you're saying is not apologizing for something you obviously didn't do. Right. You know? Sure. I'm sorry. I ran your grandmother over when I didn't. Right. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, a couple more things about this, and then I want to move on to one of these other articles is, uh, is that critical race theory taints God's image bearers. Um, that it denies really the, the, the fact that man was made in the image of God uh, by mm-hmm. dividing man up into these different groups. And for that, uh, I'm citing here Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Um, <clears throat> so to, to divide it up any further than that and to say certain groups are this and certain groups are that, you're in a sense saying this group, we could probably acknowledge that maybe they're made in the image of God, but this other group, no. Uh, which, in a sense, makes critical race theory racism in reverse. <laughs> okay. Oh, yes, yes. Um, it's yeah, racism against, uh, in many ways, against white people. It doesn't do away with racism. It just changes the direction of it to try to equalize racism, sort of. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then the, the final thing here is that it elevates man over Christ. Um and, uh, and and critical race theory clearly puts mankind on a pedestal, 
um, by suggesting that God is not sovereign at all over our our issues. So we need to take matters into our own hands, and we need to go get what we want because we've it's been taken from us and and such. So it really elevates the the attitude and and um, hmm. motivations wow. of man uh, over the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> really good points there, Tom. It's good good uh, thought that you put into there, and just a just a correction on something I said a minute ago. I guess it doesn't reverse. Uh, doesn't seek to necessarily equalize racism, but by changing the polarity of the racism to supposedly do away with it, but or or at least anyway. in some sense bring justice. That's what they're they're thinking. I don't know that their yes, goal is to yes. eliminate racism. Hmm. Um, and that's something. Their their goal is not to eliminate racism, but rather to justify racism against uh, white people. Um, yeah, because <clears> it's not eliminating racism. It's just yeah, right. Adding adding more to it. Yeah. I have a, a quote here that I included, and this is from uh, David Cloud at wayoflife.org uh, in an article called Top 10 Reasons I'll Never Support Black Lives Matter uh, from September 1st. Uh, he says, quote, there is no goal of forgiveness or reconciliation, none. It is never mentioned on their sites. You can't talk about the sins of the past and expect to move forward if there is no intention of forgiveness. I'm tired of the color-based oppressed oppressor critical race theory paradigm. It is not gospel-centered. This should immediately be a deal breaker for Christians. End quote. <clears throat> so yeah, there's there's no sense of forgiveness, even even if it was true that all people, all white people, are racist and they just don't know it. There is no call for forgiveness, <laughs> none. Um, wow. Yeah. There's only there's, justice, as you said, which wow, which they it's would view. Like, no, we're not going to forgive you, but we are going to judge you. Reparations is is, is what they're yes. calling for in okay. some places. Uh, California is even talking about that seriously now, um, about reparations, which don't ask me how that would work. (laughs) Yeah, right. And well, and the question is not just how it would work, but would it work? I mean, the question is how much, how often, what what do you have to give? When would they be happy? When would they, uh, when would the reparations be enough? I mean, okay, so this, you know, a supposed racism, like, okay, I'm a racist, but I don't know it. And apparently it's hurting you. And you're suppressed. How much do I have to give you? And how often do I have to do that? You know, and you know, to what degree can I be blackmailed <laughs> uh, for? And you know, really, who would it be given to? Um, as far as uh, reparations goes, who would get them? If you think of somebody like uh, President Obama, right? Um, right, right? He has in his uh, family lineage um, historical. Um, uh, uh, slaveholders in his family history. Um, so if you have slaveholders yeah, just... and slaves in your family history, do you give reparations to yourself? And you know, how many generations should it go back? Uh, so it's, uh, right, right. It's, it, again, it just goes into this, this, uh, morass, I guess, if that's the right word of, of, of continuous object or subjectivity, you yeah. know, who makes the rules. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Forgiveness sure seems like the simpler option, doesn't it? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, and then there's one other article that I'll link here um, on this. And this one I thought was really good, and, and we're kind of running short on time with it. But it's an article from the Daily Wire that was contributed by uh, John MacArthur. And uh, <clears throat> let me pull that up here. It's entitled, Critical Race Theory, A Sickness That Cannot Be Allowed to Continue. Um, so I'll link that one in the show notes. Um, be sure to, to take a look at that. I think that one probably does a 
one of the better jobs here of summarizing everything that we're trying to Good. say. I, I feel kind of insufficient to 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 really talk about this issue as you know compared to an article like this <laughs> you know this, this is much yeah, better than well, anything it's a good writer yeah um and and you've done a good job of bringing it right to where we're talking you know what we want as far as okay how does what what does bible the bible have to say about this you know political uh thing and and i and i want to repeat what you said earlier that i think um you know conservative christians ought to be somewhat knowledgeable on it. And just by listening to this conversation, you've heard probably way more than you've maybe heard in the last, that you've ever heard, you know, on, on a biblical foundation of thought as we approach this topic, what it actually means. I mean, it's, it's been a help to me. I wasn't real versed on it, just a little bit here and there from the news. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we can say, well, in our circles, it's not really a big deal. And that may be true, honestly, um, because we're dealing with a tighter conservative circle uh, where we trust that this kind of mindset, you know, wouldn't creep in. But the, but the flip side of that is I don't want pastors to get up and give kind of a knee-jerk, uneducated kind of, you know, response to it, like like make some, make a joke out of it or make comments about it that aren't really to the point that aren't really yeah you know what i mean and so yeah. so in the process it sounds like okay we have a stand on this thing but i don't really know what i'm talking about you don't want to do that either right right yeah so i appreciate your thoughts that you've put into that sure and, and i'll link to one more article that i think is helpful too and it was actually cited by the answers in genesis article and that's one from uh, the gospelcoalition.org called the incompatibility mm-hmm. of critical theory and christianity um, Good. Okay. We've uh, unfortunately have to move on <laughs> to another subject. Um, yeah, yeah. The uh, the other question I wanted to deal with, um, and I'll and I'll let our listeners in on a on a funny little, uh, not a secret, but uh, something they don't realize backstage here. But uh, in the after show, I'll bring that up about something that uh, you've been patient with me this morning. So. <laughs> uh, all right, let me bring up this this question here. Um, listener Ashton says, um, the subject is the change in Christian Trump supporters. Here's the question. In the past month leading up to the election and after your last episode about President Trump, I've wondered about the change I've seen in Christian Trump supporters over the past four to five years. Four years ago, I remember several Christian people, some I know personally and some I do not, discussing their displeasure of President Trump and how they didn't know if they could vote for him. I heard people say this in person as well as various social media accounts I follow. Fast forward to now, many of those same people now seem to be some of President Trump's biggest supporters. My question is this, what do you think changed the minds of those people? From what I've seen, the president's personality, tweeting, the way he interacts with people, etc., hasn't changed, but the opinion some have uh, of him has changed a great deal. It's definitely an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Thanks in advance for your thoughtful discussion reason. Um, so <clears throat> go ahead. You have a thought on this? Um, sure, yeah. I, as far as what's changed with the president, um, I, I'd have to say... It may not be so much that he's changed, though I think that there is some of that. I do believe he has gotten more conservative during his presidency. I think there was just a lot of unknowns the first time uh, when he was uh, running for president. 
and and Christians were not the only ones saying this. Um, he was actually uh, Donald Trump was actually bashed by Ted Cruz back in 2016, I believe it was, um, when he said uh, Donald's record does not match what he says as a candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, Rush Limbaugh attacked him on the same grounds. Mark Levin, same thing. He he said Trump is not the real deal. He is not a conservative. Um, he was happy to donate to Schumer, uh, Weiner, and Emanuel campaigns last year. Uh, he was pro-choice recently and now claims to be pro-life. He sounds more like Ross Perot, and that was a quote from Mark Levin in, in 2011. Um, Andrew mm-hmm. Breitbart said a similar thing. Of co- he said, of course, he's not a conservative. He was for Nancy Pelosi before he was against Nancy Pelosi. Um, so I think yeah. our, our primary concerns in 2016 were basically that we weren't sure how he was going to govern. Um, he kind of had some, uh, a little, did a little bit of flip-flopping on immigration um, in his past. Uh, foreign policy, he's kind of been all over the place. Uh, abortion, he used to say he was very pro-choice in 1999. Is, 1999 is when he said that. He said, I'm very pro-choice. Um, so that's a little, little concerning. Um, Mm -hmm. he's been very, uh, for same sex marriage, uh, as far as even, you know, being okay with it being the law of the land. Um, I'm not sure what his stance on religious freedom has been, uh, in the past. In the Um, past, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, for all those reasons, you know, looking at what he was as a candidate in 2016, we're kind of like... Should we really, should we really vote for him? We don't know how he's going to govern. And then on top of it, he was a very bombastic candidate, um, very different from any other politician that we'd seen and that he was, uh, you know, calling people names, you know, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, he has a name for like everybody. Yeah. He has right? a name for everybody. Um, so, so I can understand. Particularly if he dislikes you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can understand if there were some doubts about him, but I think, uh, his his cabinet, the the people surrounding him are there's a, a lot of good conservative people there, uh, and they've really kind of shaped him over the last four years, I think, and and mm-hmm. I think he's mm-hmm. grown more conservative, and I think in many ways his opposition on the left has pushed him more conservative. He sees how stupid things are on the yes. other side. Yeah, and I think that's yeah that's true too. Yeah. Anyway, what are your yeah. thoughts? Um. Yeah, he was like what you're saying basically is he was an unknown commodity in 2016 and and I had um I had certain uh major misgivings and and here's here's my thought on it. Yeah, number 1 like you said he was an unknown commodity because I remember in one of the um the debates um of the primary so you have all these Republicans lined up uh you know and they're kind of each telling maybe how they're different or where they stand on certain things. And they asked him a question about uh, why are you pro-life? And he essentially the summarized answer was, um, I had some friends who thought about having an abortion. They ended up keeping the kid and he turned out to be a great kid. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that is that is such a weak pro-life. And that is that is not a gut pro-life. Yeah. You know, I am pro-life to the core answer. And so, you know, that wasn't convincing at all. And and his his style, not you know, I mean, everybody's got their own personality, you know, as far as how they stand, how they talk, and how they hold their head, and whatever, whatever. But I mean, it was it was put off. It, it put me off, I guess. Number one, that he had to be, um, 
you know, the only candidate in my lifetime that I've ever, ever heard that, you know, felt it significant to um, defend the size of his genitalia on the stage, mm-hmm. you know, and, and given the past of, of his current wife and, and, and photography and magazines, whatever, you know, um, I just thought, wow, this is, this is who we're going to hold up as an example to my kids, um, you know, as, as the yeah. highest office of the land. And, uh, and that, all of that being coupled with this is that I thought in 2016 um, that use that we actually had a rock solid poster child conservative who was running and who was getting a fair amount of support. So I was yeah. a Ted Cruz supporter. Yeah, me too. And and so I, you know, when we <laughs> when you saw that, you said, now here's a guy who. You know, stands with Israel. This guy is strong. He is intelligent. He is, um, at the same time, though, his personality came off as um, a, as appropriate, the way he would deal with things. You know, he mm-hmm. wasn't crass and boorish and things like that. I mean, he just was exactly, I felt, what we needed. And so when it came time to it, uh, to, came time to vote, uh, my take on it, I know this is going to be, you know, really controversial with some people, but I did not vote for Trump. Um, because I felt like it was an intentional decision on my part to say, uh, you know, my non-vote was part of a long-term strategy to say, uh, there's only so far you can pull the conservatives before you lose them. Uh, if, if we constantly get dragged into, well, we got to go with the lesser of two evils. We got to go with the lesser of two evils. Um, you know, America is not friendly to conservative values, okay, or a lot of people aren't. And at a certain point, you have to stand there and say, this is what I believe. This is absolutely wrong, you know. And, and I looked back to the, the biblical story of Lot, you know, and, and mm. Lot lives in this wicked culture, and these angels come to stay with him. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, all these nasty men show up at his door and say, hey, uh, give, us your, give us your visitors, you know. And they weren't wanting to do it just so they could, you know, uh, pal around and get to know him a little bit better. They were, they were wanting to be wicked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what does Lot do? Does he say, are you kidding? Absolutely not. That's vile. And I won't even be a part of that. Instead, he says, oh, here's some of my daughters. Unbelievable. You know, you're like, oh my goodness. You know, you're, you what, are, what are you giving up to, to try to, so, so in a similar way, at a certain point you say as a conservative, you know, there's only so far we can go before you say, look, if you're going to keep choosing candidates like this, you're going to give up our vote and you're going to lose. And that's always the fear. Well, well, but, but look at the other candidate. But you have to know, you know, that, OK, if you're willing to give up, you're willing to choose a guy like that, you're going to give up our vote. You're going to lose. Um, and so that was a decision that I made intentionally. Now, four years <laughs> later, honestly, as I see how he's governed, um, is, is he still uh, does he still name call? Yes, he does. Yeah. He's got he's got that personality. So. I'm not asking for him to be a pastor in chief, right. nor was I ever necessarily. But, um, but you know, I, ha, you know, have they have they been uh, pure? You know, it, has it even looked like Bill Clinton in office? No, mm-hmm. um, you know what I mean. So there, it's just been a matter of issues, and from yeah. and from what I know, he seems to have governed very conservatively. So I have yeah. to say, wow. I mean, this guy, you know, in his foreign policy and his economics and in his pro-life stance and different things, I go, 
this guy's really proven himself. And like you said, he's surrounded himself with good men. Apparently he's been, uh, and I find it interesting as a side note, in a time when sometimes we feel like it's so perilous and so um, like, oh goodness, look how, how wicked it's getting, how God permits certain people, you know, li- like Daniel to, um, uh, to Darius, you know, yeah. or um, guys like that. Um, you got, you have people, uh, I was listening recently to an interview by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was for two years the press secretary for President Trump. Yep. She, she was raised a Baptist, you know. Hmm. Now you have another uh, professing believer as the, uh, the press secretary. You have a professing believer as the vice president of the United States. You, have, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, have, you have these people who have, I think, a genuine faith in close contact with the president. And so I think that is a neat... A neat thing, but yeah. but that being said, he I think he's proven himself, and so this time around, I feel a lot more comfortable to go. Okay, well, you know, in terms yeah. of, you know, I'm not I'm not <clears throat> saying the man's an, an absolute saint, whatever, but I mean the way he is governed, and even I don't think he's made a, a mockery uh, of the of the presidency in terms of you know of, of purity is what I'm saying, and uh, and in the way he's governed us. Yeah. So, so things that's how that's how I've changed. And I was one of those four to five years ago that said, no, I don't think I can't do this. And I think there have been some inherent um, uh, or I guess consequential benefits of him being what he is, <laughs> weirdly enough. Um, yeah. Right. Because if you think about, you know, Ted Cruz, for instance, you know, the man's a politician. Um, now, he is he's very. Um, uh, how, how should principled. I say principled, but, but I mean, colloquial, like he, he speaks fairly common. Um, <clears throat> but he thinks in terms of politics, which is not a bad thing, but one of the reasons why it's viewed as that the left has become so powerful is because they go for the culture. They're after the culture. And if they mm-hmm. can, if they can sway the culture to their way of thinking, then their left leaning politics will take care of themselves. Whereas uh, those on the right have always focused on the politics, um, mm. which again is not a bad thing, but I think it's been to the point where we've lost the culture because there's no mm. appeal on the right to the culture. It's just politics. Um, and I think some, some think, and I don't know that this is true, some think it was strategic that Donald Trump was chosen uh, as the, the candidate uh, for presidency uh, by the party because he is not a politician. Uh, mm-hmm. The man mm-hmm. is connected to the culture. He's a reality TV show host. And, right, and he right. speaks like, like a common person. Right. Um, and in some ways, that has been beneficial in drawing in a younger crowd uh, to a conservative way of thinking, ironically enough. In some way, wouldn't we say that the former administration had really touted almost a celebrity status? Yes. And so then the Republicans bring in a celebrity yes. and kind of play their own game. Which yeah. I think in the long run might end up bad if we keep going for celebrities for president. Um, but I think that's kind of the way it's headed now, um, mm-hmm. unfortunately. The trajectory is downward. The trajectory <laughs> well, is downward, yes. But in many ways, because he's a common person and he just says what he's thinking when he's off script, uh, it's kind of revealed the left for what they are. Um, it's made them come out of hiding and show their teeth. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it's made a lot of people kind of upset with the media and with the left, which if we'd gotten Ted Cruz as president, I think a lot of people would still actually think the media is fairly unbiased. Hmm. Wow. 
So um, anyway, in answer, there we go. Um, that's maybe what's what's changed for some of them is it that they've seen how he's actually governed, and, yeah. and you say because he is. Um, maybe they've come to like the fact that he is who he is. Yeah. Um, but I'm talking about Trump. <clears throat> that he, you know, like you say, he's not really scripted. Speaks his mind. <clears throat> and as I've listened, I, you know, I'm told that that he is a thinker in the sense that, like you said, his you know, foreign policy is all over the place and <laughs> this and that. Yeah. Well, to his credit, that's, he can learn on the job. Yeah. He, can, he can sit people down and say, okay, debate in front of me. You know, okay, tell me the merits of both sides. Okay, yeah. I think that side makes more sense. Let's do it. But it's not like he had that crafted 30 years ago. No, no, I don't believe the whole uh, secret genius idea that his persona is all you know, an intentional strategy. <laughs> so when he acts like a doofus sometimes, uh, you know, that that's intentional to make the left mad. I don't think that's, I don't buy the whole secret genius thing, but I do think he is a much smarter man than people give him credit for. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that, um, let me take a look at our uh, yeah. time here. I think, yeah, yeah that we've pretty much wrapped it up here. We're at time. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. And if you have a, uh, a thought or a comment or uh, want to vent or uh, say, boy, I've been something's been, uh, you know, bothering me for a while about you guys or about just a question, uh, send that over to Reason Together podcast at gmail.com. Maybe we shouldn't have and, you uh, be the one asking for people to email us. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, okay, let me change that. If uh, you something bothers you about Tom, just oh. email it to. <laughs> No. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for listening, and I uh, hope you'll uh, join us next time. Yes, thank you again for being with us, and thanks especially to our patrons for their generous support. Mm-hmm. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. <laughs>